Well, good morning. It's always a, um, these, this time of year, we always get to this time of year and uh, we start singing Christmas songs and, uh, and I don't know if you're like me or, or not, uh, but I, I wait for this time of year and, uh, and man, it's just, it's just such a joy uh, to be able to sing uh, Christmas songs together. It's just, it just feels unfair <laughs> that we don't get to sing these and so maybe, you know, we'll start putting them in in January, February, March, and I'm just kidding, we won't do that. Um, but I, but I love Christmas songs, and so this is, this is just a special uh, time of year. Uh, by the way, um, when I was growing up, this is an act of mercy, by the way, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, uh, but when I was growing up, uh, I attended a, a pre-church. My dad was a senior pastor, and uh, for Christmas morning, every year at Christmas morning, we had what was called a Eulata service, and it was apparently a Swedish tradition, but I have never, ever since heard of any other church that does this, so I'm pretty sure they lied and made it up. But we had to meet at 6 a.m. on Christmas morning every single year. So act of God's mercy, <laughs> right? But that is, that is uh, no uh, longer. So, hey, uh, this morning, today, um, today's message is the second uh, in our series, our Christmas series, um, uh, really our Advent series, and we've titled it Simply Jesus. And, and uh, the reason why we've called it Simply Jesus is because when you, when you unwrap everything, uh, we get to the center of the box and Jesus, who, who he is in his purest form, unfiltered Jesus, even as a cute baby, is the baby who grew up to die. And that is, that is what we're worshiping. We don't worship the wrapping. We, don't, we take solace in some of that, and it provides comfort. But our worship and our mission is generated simply by the person of Jesus, who he was and what he came to accomplish. And so last week, we started by looking uh, at the, the, the idea of hope. And, you know, and as I kind of look back on that, I go, oh, maybe I didn't unpack that maybe the way that I would have liked to. But, but then this week, we have, um, in, in the devotional, we saw that there's this, this joy factor, right? When, uh, when uh, Elizabeth meets Mary, like, baby John the Baptist leaps for joy uh, inside of her. And so there's this theme, and uh, theme of joy. And this morning, we're going to, uh, we're going to talk uh, about uh, mercy. And, and that's my job this morning, is to kind of unpack God's mercy. But before we do, um, I was trying to think of a story that, that would kind of start us off on the right foot this morning. And, and when, I was, when, when we were on our way here, we were still in the process. Nikki and I were still in the process of, of really trying to figure out uh, what we were going to do. I mean, our home uh, in Charlotte was still under some, some fixings and some renovations to be on the market. And, uh, and so we were really just moving here on this leap of faith. And I got this text from Ken who, who just basically says, hey, why don't you, you give me a call? I think we have an option for you. And so um, I call him, and we start talking, and he says, hey, well, Vicki and I would love to invite you guys into our home. And I said, I just, I just want to be really clear that you understand. We're basically a nomadic people. <laughs> like, we just have all of this junk with us. We have nowhere to put it. Um, we have two huskies, uh, and we have a two-year-old baby who cries and poops, uh, and... And then, you're, and, you're, and on top of all that, you're inviting in like this, this, this couple, this man and woman who deeply love each other, but who really, at the end of the day, are just very broken and messy people. And I said, just to be clear, I just want to make sure you didn't miss any information. There. It's not like you were saying, "Hey, Seth, um, we'll take you and Nikki, but nobody else." <laughs> 
But like, this was an act of mercy. I mean, this is just a tremendous act of mercy on their end to extend their home to us. And you would think that when you experience mercy like that, that we would reciprocate that mercy. But sometimes we don't. <laughs> About six weeks ago, uh, my, my in-laws were in town, and I just am blessed with tremendous, wonderful, incredible in-laws. But, but like all families, they're different than, from our family. And, uh, and for... Uh, one of the unique differences between their family and our family is that for me, in the summer, I love my house to be uh, just like, like air conditioner to the max. Like, I mean, we don't do that, but that's what I would prefer. And in the winter, I love to have the fireplace on and for it to be warm. But at my in-laws' house, it's like, it's like frigid all of, all of the time, all year round. And so, like, I kid you not, like, I have to wear my, my thickest hoodie that I can find. It's a Chicago Cubs hoodie. I wear special socks and slippers, and I carry a blanket around with me when we're at their house. That's how cold it is at their house. And I'm like, just, 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 just turn it up. Just turn up the thermostat. No, but that's, but that's, that's the way that they do life. And so when they were here with us, uh, I came up one night, and I had had this long week, and, and I was really just kind of tired and, and frustrated, and I came up, and we are going to play a game, and it didn't help that as I started playing the game, I was just losing and losing and losing, and in the midst of that, I realized that the fireplace wasn't on. And I was like, who turned off my fireplace? And Nancy, my, my mother-in-law, who's a sweet, wonderful lady, she's like, oh, I did. And I was like, I just, I just, I just, this is just a pure, raw moment of selfishness from your pastor, okay? So just appreciate this. I said, Nancy, when I go to your house, I don't touch your thermostat. And it went, zoom, silence. And I just went, like, this moment, I was just like, wow, that was the exact opposite of mercy, Right? This is the exact opposite, and yet, this is what we do. But, but I want, I think this morning, what I hope that we, we begin to see as we unpack this mercy is that mercy should beget more mercy. Right? It, it just, mercy, when I receive it, it gives more. And when, and when I receive it, it gives more. And, and that's the way that God wants to work in this world. And so, uh, it's my job this morning to unpack um, God's mercy, and that's what we're going to talk about. And to do that, I want to ask three questions. The first one, uh, very simply, is this is question of what is mercy? Very simple, right? That's a good place to start. What is mercy? Uh, and the second question that we're going to ask uh, is, um, how do I receive it? And then the third question is, uh, how do we share it? Okay? So um, before we get this, actually, that's a little quick. Sorry, uh, I'm not quite there yet. So we have been in, in Luke chapter uh, 1. And just for some context here, just Mary has found out that, that she's pregnant, right, via supernatural means. Uh, this is an incredible bizarre and yet entirely true story, right? That the Mary is carrying the Son of God. And I just want you to, to wrestle with me here for a moment because Mary is entering into a nine-month journey that's going to be probably the hardest journey of her life. I mean, think about, I mean, like, how do you explain this to people when they ask? She's betrothed. She's not married, right? None of that stuff has yet it has, has not happened yet. And so, so for her, she's entering into these, these awkward conversations, and who's going to believe her? I mean, the text doesn't tell us, but, but we don't even know if her parents believed her. 
And think about all of the the rumors and and the criticisms and the weird looks and all of these things that probably would have happened. And yet, what does Mary decide to do? Instead, instead of like, like dwelling in shame, she actually celebrates and she rejoices. And so she goes to Elizabeth's house. Um, who is a relative of hers and who Gabriel tells her about, and, and she goes to her house. But, but here's what I, I want us to understand, the geography of this, because um, Mary lives in Nazareth, which is in the, the northern part of Israel, and Elizabeth, we don't know which town, but it tells us that she was in Judah, which is on the southern side. So it's on the total opposite side of Israel. And so for for Mary to go visit Elizabeth was not like to go from Moorhead to Fargo or Fargo to Moorhead. It was a six-day journey. This is where she goes. She's like, I'm going to go see my, see my relative Elizabeth, and I want to share in the goodness of her story, and then I want to celebrate this story together. And so she enters into this six-day journey. Now, while she's going, we don't know this, but my guess, my guess is is that she's meditating on those last words that she hears from Gabriel. For nothing is impossible with God. Just can you imagine six days of a journey with those words in your mind? For nothing is impossible with God. For nothing is impossible with God. Over and over and over. And and we don't know where or when Mary writes this song, but it's possible that on this six-day journey as she walks to Elizabeth's house that she composes this beautiful song that Nicole is actually going to read for us this morning. rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled, with, filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her home. You know, I thought about um, putting on my best young girl voice and reading that for you, but I wanted you to come back next week. <laughs> um, can, can you, when you hear that story, it is so good. It's, it's not really a story. It is, I mean, it is. It's, it recounts some of the story pieces, but it is a song. It is a song of praise from a 14-year-old girl who, by the way, in this song, cites at least 12 times the Old Testament. This is is a girl who is so deeply rooted and connected to God's story, and she believes it with every ounce in her being. 
And she says, this is who God is, and this is what he has done. She is so deeply connected to this theme of God's mercy. And she understood that, but, but do, do we? So I want to just ask this question, what is mercy? Well, mercy is really such a massive uh, theme in the entire uh, Old Testament. And there, there are several words that it could be, but the most common word uh, in Hebrew is the word racham, okay? Now, racham uh, really simply just means to show compassion. Now, when we talk about showing compassion, that is different than pity. Because pity is when I look at something or someone or or whatever it is that I'm looking at, and I have this stirring inside of me that I feel bad for, but the difference between pity and, and compassion is that compassion always compels me to act. Right? It's not that I just look at it and I go, man, I'm so sorry. Like, this is really hard for you. Compassion says, I see that there is a problem and I want to help. Right? That is, is mercy, right? Um, it's, it's God's kindness and his love uh, in action, especially to those who, who really ultimately need him. And, and that's a good thing too, right? Because, because you and I, we together are a needy people. We are very incredibly needy. And if we go back in the story, all the way to um, creation, what we find, right, is that God created everything, and we know this story, but in, in, its, in its perfection, everything exists the way that it ought to exist. Relationships with ourselves, with each other, and with God, and with the world, everything is good. Until sin enters into the world. And, and the first thing, though, that it does is that when sin enters into the world, it, it, uh, it leaves us in this, this place or state of, of guiltiness. And so I am marred. The image of, of God is marred inside of me, and I am separated from God. And so the New Testament um, parallel to this is that when there's guilt in my life, I need, what I need is grace and forgiveness, okay? But, but on the flip side, when sin enters into the world, not only does it leave us guilty, it also leaves us entirely helpless, in, in, the, in the sense that, that even though like, I am guilty, now the, the, to add the, like, the, the cherry on top is to say, by the way, you're guilty and there's nothing you can do about it. You are entirely helpless in this. And we fight against this. We go, man, I'm not entirely helpless. But when it comes to these issues, we are. Like, we are helpless. And so this is where mercy enters into the story. Because from that moment on in Genesis... In mankind, like from person to person, from man to woman, kid to adult, every single person, every single uh, race, every color of people, like we all have this deep experience of neediness uh, in in our lives. I'm acutely aware of this because we have a two and a half year old daughter. And Eden needs me for something really every single day. And so um, sometimes her neediness comes out in these, these grunts of frustration. So like if I'm watching football, this is, this is if you want to, this is good parenting by the way. Um, if I'm watching football and Eden's playing with Legos and then I hear this, mm, then I usually say, sweetie, can I help you? You know, and then sometimes she uses her words. 
And then she'll say, like, like Dada, help, Dada, help, Dada, help. And so I, I enter in, and, and I, bring, I bring help. And, and like, yet yeah, Eden is, is very independent. She's, she's moving into the stage where she wants to pull her pants up. She wants to do all these things. And she wants to say, like, I do it, I do it, I do it. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But here's the good news. If our disposition, which, which by the way, like, we look at a two-year-old and we go, gosh, like, Seth, I know how to pull my pants up. <laughs> Okay, yes, I know that you do, but we're not talking about pants, and we're not talking about Legos. We're talking about the, the deep, intrinsic neediness that's inside of us that every single one of us knows that we have. And it's emotional, it's physical, it's spiritual, it's mental, it's sociological, but ultimately it is this spiritual neediness. And so here's the good news, though, is that if, if, it's, if it's our disposition to need help, guess what? It's God's disposition to give help. That's how this works perfectly in this relationship, in this scenario, which is why this is so, so, so uh, important. And so when it comes to mercy, what is mercy? We know that it's, it's God's compassion on those who need him. But I love this verse in Lamentations 3.22, which really kind of um, umbrellas, in my mind, mercy throughout the Old Testament. And it says this. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. Or have you ever heard like, his mercies aren't new every morning? Every single morning. I don't know about you, but I think that, that mercy is something that we need a little bit more of in the world today. When you think about 2020 and the chaos of, of a world that we call a year, which by the way, maybe at the end of this year, after everything is over, uh, 2020, the year that shall not be named, we will just do a calendar burning. You know, like we get to the end of the year and we're like, hey, let's celebrate, cool. Here's my, like, like the, it will reach the stars because it will be such a big fire, right? Chaos of 2020 um, is here, right? Global pandemic, heated presidential election really, uh, um, racial co uh, conflict, unprecedented natural disasters, right? And, and all of that is just the, the, the big out there stuff that compounds when it's, it's this deep inside internal neediness. And all of a sudden, I go, man, I need a little bit more of waking up and reminding that God in his disposition towards me says, hey, every morning, here's what I want you to know. My mercy is new. My mercy is new. My mercy is new. My mercies never cease. They, they never come to an end. And Mary knows this. Right? She knows that, that God's mercy comes in, in all forms of shapes and sizes. It really comes uh, for her, it comes for her family, and it comes for the world. Okay, So let's look at verse 48 in this song. Here's what it says. It says, For that he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. You see, what Mary is doing in this moment is, is that she's acknowledging, hey, I am, whether right or wrong, it's, it's this perspective to say, I am inconsequential. I am a small person from a small town of unlikely stature, and yet God looked upon me. 
And the second part of this, though, is it doesn't just stop with God's looking. In verse 49, it says this. It says that for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And so that's why this is mercy. This is where mercy is in this story. Because, because God, right, not only does he look upon her, it could have stopped there, and it could have been pity. And yet, he does these great and mighty things. He's compelled to act on her behalf because of his compassion. And so this is, this is her. I am a simple 14-year-old girl from, from little town of Nazareth, and, and this is what God has done. This is God's mercy. He's not talking about forgiveness. He's not talking about grace. He's not talking about any of that. She's not talking about that. She's saying just, just, just God in his kindness has looked upon me and chosen me. That's his mercy. It's an act of kindness. But it also, um, we can leave that up there, but she also goes on in verse 44, 54, uh, if you're in your Bibles, and it, she moves to this idea like that, that God's mercy is bigger than me. It's not just this personal thing. It actually extends to my family. And so verse 54, uh, she says that, that God has actually helped Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Now, it sounds like she's talking about her nation, Israel. But really, in Hebrew culture, when you talk about Israel, you're talking about your family. And so she's basically saying, like, like all of my aunts and uncles, all of the people, all of those weird cousins that I've never met from who and whose side, right? Like, God's mercy has shown up and helped all of us. But then it's also bigger than that. God's mercy is also global. In verse 50, she says that it extends from generation to generation. So you go all the way back to Genesis 3, and we know that, that God's mercy enters in to help a needy people, and it goes from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth, which was what brings us to today. Just over and over and over and over, mercy, I, I think this is true, that mercy is what's behind the scenes and is propelling the story forward. It's God's way of saying, I want to move you further and deeper into this story so that one day we're going we're gonna to fulfill the opposite of Genesis 3. When, when, when fall, the fallen nature of humanity was fully and totally broken, one day it will be fully and totally redeemed. And that's where God, is, his mercy is moving us. He goes, I, I, want, I want to move this story forward. And so for Mary, really in her story, she doesn't know all of that. And so mercy is really revealing and unveiling in, in her story, Jesus on the cross. You know, there's that popular song like, hey, Mary, did you know? Like, I, I love that song, but the obvious answer is no way, right? Like, no way did she know what God was going to do through this person, Jesus. And so that's where mercy was revealing for her. But here we are on the other side of that. And so mercy for us is actually revealing the next stage in the story, which is heaven. And that's where God's mercy is moving us. And so Mary doesn't know all of that, but what she does know is that this story uh, is changing and that her life and the life of her entire family and really the life of the entire world will never be the same again. That's what Mary knows. And it's in that space in verses 46 and 47, this is what she says. She rejoices. This is where the song starts. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. 
And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I, I absolutely love that because like, you look at Mary and it's like everything inside of Mary, with just, just, just all in unison is this resounding yes. That is Mary in this moment. Like she is such an exemplary example for us in, in, in our faith. And it's like, and I just get this, I think this is, this is crazy, that Mary, in some way, shape, or form, is saying this to God. When she says, like, I praise you, she's saying, hey, God, by the way, I am willing to endure any form of criticism, any discomfort, because I know that you are moving your story forward. Because I know that whatever it is that you're unfolding, it's about the next step and the next stage of you making the world right. It's about going forwards, not backwards, right? It's not like we get to this point in the story and, and Mary's like, cool, cool, let's go backwards. God's like, no, 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 we're going forwards. We are going towards the end and Mary understands that and, and this is whatever that cost is to me, I'm all in. And here's what's crazy is when you look at these, I love this, when you look at these verses, 46 and 47, as you look at this, this high form of worship, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Really, it's just like, I will make God great. I'm going to make God great. And when we think about worship, we think about songs, and we think about maybe a few other forms, which are all true and good, but the highest form of worship is this right here. The highest form of worship is a life devoted to mission. That's Mary. Like, she's a perfect example of this. And I read this and I go, man, like, I've never said this before. I wish I was more like this 14-year-old girl. Like, I need more of what she has in my life. And maybe that's, maybe that's what we all would say. But here we, we notice the, the posture of Mary, there's something really important that we see in this text. Um, we need to notice her posture because there's a catch. There is a catch. God's mercy has a catch. There is something that we need to be aware of, and this catch is this word called pride. This catch is this word called pride because Mary's posture is that of humility. And so if we're asking this question, how do I receive that? If I want more of that in my life, what does my posture need to be? And so we ask this question, and this is um, what we see in the text, how we see these things revealed. And I'm not going to unpack them, but I just want you to see uh, these next, um, this next slide. It says that God scatters the proud uh, in the thoughts of their heart. Um, and B, it says he brought down rulers. And then you go to the right side, this, this humble side, and she says that he's exalted uh, the lowly of, of state. And then below that, it says that God has filled the hungry, which, by the way, the, the word hungry uh, in the Greek is just the word needy. And so our neediness is much bigger than hungry. It's just it's our neediness. And, and God fills those who are needy with good things. And then the opposite then is also true is that she says that he sends the rich away empty. And so there's this pride in, in humble contrast, right? 
right? Like, so, so if, like, if there is a line right here, and if on this side of the line are the proud, and this side is the humble. This is what I love. First uh, Peter 5 um, sums this up perfectly. It says this. It says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if there is a line right here, and these are the pride, and these are the humble, if I am right here, God stands and looks at me and says, I am opposed to you. I, I, you are actually, I, it's not that I'm really against you, but it's more that you are against me. And because you are against me, because you refuse to admit and acknowledge the, the true neediness of your heart, everything that I want to give you, I can't. Because... That's not what it takes. But if I come to this side of the line and I say, gosh, all of a sudden I go, man, like I, I realize now that I need this. God's like, Here's, here you go. Here's everything that I have to offer you. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But here's the tension, right? Here's the tension is that there is this line and, and the tension is, is that everything inside of me especially as a male uh, entering into my 40s um, who looks back on his life and wishes he would have accomplished more things maybe, um, I look at this and I go, I don't want to be seen as needy. I don't, I don't want that. I don't, need, I don't even need YouTube DIY. Like, nope, I'm just going to pound holes in my wall until I figure it out. Like, I'm just, I'm just I don't like, where's the instructions? Nikki's like, hey, where's the instructions? I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't think they came with them. That's a lie. I just don't need them, right? Like, DIY, like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. I don't want to be seen as needy. Um, the other day, uh, Friday, Nikki and I took Eden out for ice skating. <laughs> we, somebody in church gave us these cute little uh, ice skates, and, uh, and so we had been wrapping them in the towels and so she could wear them at home, because I know that we're in, we're in uh, high hockey country, right? So this is a big deal. So hockey is a legitimate choice for her, so I want to give her all options. Um, bigger, bigger choices than the things I'm used to, you know? Um, so, like, she stomps around, and she does all that stuff, and we thought, man, she's great. She's going to do good. We get her out on the ice, and, and what do you do? Like, you get there, and she just, like, whoop. You know, she does those back and forth, and then she, like, tries to step, and that doesn't work, and you're, like, you're, you're trying to coach her the whole time. You get the chair. You get everything that you can, and, and the whole time while you're trying to help her, she says, I do it. I do it. I do it. And I go, no, you're not. I'm doing it. I am helping you. And then, and then she's saying, I do it. I do it. And then she gets frustrated because what she's saying, she says, let go. And if I say, gosh, baby girl, if I let go, guess what's going to happen? You're going to fall. By the way, she was wearing a helmet. We were safe, cautious. I wanted to wrap her in bubble tape because that's your first kid, you overprotection. And so, but we get there, and here's the reality is that when you, look at, when you look at Eden on these skates, you go, baby girl, if I let you do this, if your pride is going to keep you on this side of the line, by the way, she's two and a half. <laughs> if your pride, you're speaking to a two-and-a-half-year-old, if your pride is going to keep you on this side of the line, you're just going to continue to fall. And you're going to fall. And you're going to fall. <laughs> and it just goes over and over and over. But if you are willing to admit that you need help, guess what? I can help you. And, and we can do this together. And we don't like to admit our neediness. Now, this is, this is probably true. There's got to be someone in this audience who's going, Seth, I know how to skate. I'm not, I'm not two and a half. Like, I don't need help. 
And, and, I, and my response is this. You, you do realize we're not talking about ice skating, right? <laughs> we're, we're not talking about ice skating. We're talking about something that is much deeper and intrinsic inside of us, this neediness that, that shows that, that, God, I want you to know that I am totally helpless. I am. I'm more helpless than I care to admit. Yes, there are things that I can do, and, and if I hit uh, 20 holes in my wall, I will eventually find a stud. So I'm not totally helpless. But guess what? Like it takes moving from this side to that side, and that's what God says, right? That, that's the mercy side in this story is that, is that God says, I, I need you, Seth, to understand that if you are too proud to admit your own helplessness, you will fall, and you will fall, and you will fall over and over and over. But if you come to my side of the line, and we get to this point, and we go, gosh, like now I, I finally figured out, like, like this is how I'm meant to be. Like this is how I'm supposed to function. And God's like, man, like that took you 38 years, 39 years. Like, would you just get that, figure it out, you know, that we, we got to get to this place where we admit our own helpliness. And so here's what I would say in this, in, in this moment, is that when I get to this side, there is this release that says, gosh, this is the way that it needs to be. But it's also when I put myself in a place that experiences the help of God, the mercy and the compassion of God, if I can put myself here, and if he, like little Eden, is helping me learn how to skate, guess what? When I am taught how to, to receive mercy, I want to teach others. Because I don't naturally move from this side of the line back to this side. Like, I, I want to help. So a mercy received is a mercy shared, right? Because we know that mercy is different than pity, right? Mercy is this compellingness to, to move us into action because of our love and our kindness towards people. So a mercy received is a mercy shared. And then I'll ask this, this last question, like, how, how, do we, how do we share it? How do we, how do, we do this? Now, I'm not going to unpack um, all this, but I want to turn to John chapter 5, because Jesus really ultimately is the perfect example for us in this space of a mercy received as a mercy given, and he is our perfect example. And this is one of my favorite, one of my all-time favorite stories in, in the New Testament, and I'm not sure why, um, but, but it really, really is, okay? So um, here's what it says, and we can put it up here, uh, and I'll just walk through it really quick. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, now, there, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed uh, colonnades. Okay, so this pool is really basically a giant wash house. Okay, now in, in, in Israel, because it's a desert climate, there's not um, a lot of fresh source water. So you have uh, really three sources for water. One are the springs, uh, one of which uh, flows down into the spring of Siloam, which is where they got drinking water. So uh, if you, if you want to drink it, don't bathe in it, right? That's a good rule of thumb. So you don't want to use that one. Um, there's the Sea of Galilee, but that's a six-day journey to the north. Or there's rainwater. And that's it. So if you wanted a bath, 
what they had to do is they had to collect rainwater on the north side of Jerusalem in this big dam where they would collect rainwater so that they could basically fill this pool for people to wash. We just get, just get that. It's kind of a gross thing, right? Like, we, like we, don't, we don't attach to this idea well. <laughs> we like, we're like, I want the privacy of my shower, and I go, and I clean, I'm done. But here, it's like, man, like, Jesus, Jesus just walked six day, a six-day journey. What does he want? A shower, right? And he gets here, and he's surrounded by tons and tons of people. And it says in this in verse 3, this is this massive complex. In verse 3, he says, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Okay, so first question, why are these people here? Well, because washing in fresh, clean water would cure you of almost all of the normal, common diseases in Israel. So if you're like, you want to survive, you should take a shower. (laughs) You should take a bath, right, if you want to extend your life. And so that's why they are here. But why is Jesus here, right? Yes, he wants a shower after a long journey. But I think more importantly, Jesus has this habit of being where people that are needy are. That's where he goes. He goes to the people that are needy. Okay, And then in verse 5, it says, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, we don't know how old he is, but, but that must have started pretty young. And so if you begin to imagine what it would have been like to be that type of a person, if he's paralyzed from, the, say, the waist down, he, he would have had to crawl places. And so at a young age, all of this would have been rubbing on the ground over and over and over. And so it probably at one point became just a bloody mess. And then over time, it begins to callous, and his chest would callous, and his hips, and, and the tops of his legs. And so he just would have this, this calloused, rough nature of having to crawl his way everywhere that he wanted to go. And Jesus, in verse 6, says, when Jesus saw him, which by the way, this is another habit of Jesus. He sees people. He sees people that we have a tendency to overlook. He saw them, and it's basically like he uses his Jesus powers. He knew that he had been there a long time. And he said to his man, he said, do you want to be healed? Which, by the way, is a really important question because sometimes we enter into stories and into situations, and we just automatically assume that people want our help. And And Jesus asked very compassionately, He says, do you want to be healed? And here's his response. He says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. Okay, what that means, and you're like, what is is that? So all of this water that they collected in the dam um, north of, of Jerusalem, once that was full, they would pull the stopper, and all of that water would come gushing through canals all the way down to this pool. And everybody, knowing that they're going to release it on such and such day at such and such time, is there waiting. And so as the water comes in, it would have just hit the sides of the walls and just and stirred and stirred and stirred. And in this moment, because there's only so much water, there would have been a mad dash. Everybody goes to the water. And what this man says, (laughs) he says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I am going, while I am crawling, another one steps down before me. And this is a man 
who has no one, no one notices him. And while he's crawling to take a bath that would extend his life and cure him from common disease, people just step over him and step over him and step over him. Back and forth, back and forth. And this is Jesus sees him and he says, pick up your mat and go home. I want you, I don't want you to live like that. Like, be healed, and he sends him home. Here's what I want you to see in this, like, like these three things on this next slide. <clears throat> Sorry, one more. Jesus, uh, Jesus went where he knew there would be a need. That's, that's his habit. The second one is that he sees him, or he sees this person, and he asks the question, and the last one is this, is Jesus met his need. And it's just very practical. How do we share God's mercy. Now, we know that Jesus is the perfect model, uh, really, for us to follow, but when we look at Mary, Mary wasn't perfect, and yet, if we circle back to the story uh, in Luke, we know that, that Mary was the exemplary model for us to follow. A mercy um, received is a mercy given. Here's what I want to, to end with this morning. Whatever is going on in your life this morning, whether you're rejoicing or you are frustrated or there's just going on in your life, if you're somewhere in between, remember that God's mercies are new every single morning. Like God's kindness is looking down on you and looking and pointed at you, right? Mercy begets mercy. I want to ask you um, these three questions as we, as we end. The first one, um, in relationship to that, is there anything in my life right now that just needs God's mercy? Um, and the second one is this, is what would it look like if every one of us met a need uh, this week? A couple weeks ago, we were in a small group, uh, and, and part of the small group is that we end with a, a disciple-making challenge of Jesus, and we said, we, we we're asking you to go to the other side, to go to somewhere where you are being stretched, and somebody at the end of that um, basically said, man, if every single one of us were to go and meet a need this week, think about the impact that would have. What if that happened across the Salem group? <laughs> that many people. And the last one is, what if, what if it became a habit for God's people to be where needy people are? Let's close in, in prayer. Father, I, as, we, as we end this morning, as we think about Lamentations 3.22, uh, your mercies never end. And God, as we are in this Advent season, as we are waiting, uh, waiting for Jesus, uh, we're waiting to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but we're also in this, this Advent season of really waiting for, for Jesus to come back again. God, help us to, to see this morning that it's your mercy that you are moving us forward in this story. That, that yesterday is no more. 2020 will soon be no more. And what you are doing is that you are putting us on the path towards heaven. And so, Lord, I just, I pray mercy over each and every one of us this morning. If there's any, any need for kindness, if there's any need for compassion in our lives, would you give that to, it, to us? And if there's any of that outside of us, Lord, would you give us eyes to see it, to, to address it, and to meet those needs? Lord, we love you, and we thank you. Amen.